This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. I'm not getting paid. Oh, hey. <laughs> Tony Sinelli has worked his staff out. I've got to learn... Mark 9, if you have a Bible, open there with me. We're going to be in verses 38 through 41, but we're probably going to be like sneaking around all of chapter 9 a little bit today. I'm so glad that, uh, that, Dr., or that Tony Sinelli invited me to come today. Uh, I didn't realize in your bylaws that you're only allowed to have a Tony preach a service. So that's interesting. I don't know if it's biblical, but that's okay. I'm just joking. Um, and I'm just... Uh, Tony Sinelli is a dear friend of mine, and I love him dearly, and so I was, it was very gracious for him to offer his pulpit up, and so I thank you for that. Thank you for letting me be here today. Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. We're going to read about the disciples getting a little weird. Is that okay? Let's talk. Let's read about that. Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. The word of the Lord says this, John said to him, teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The word of the Lord is good. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have given us your holy word, that you've inspired through your Holy Spirit men to write these down so that we can get a better picture of you to understand your redemption, Lord. I ask you to convict us today, Lord. Let us adapt to it, not the other way around, because we know that won't work. Pierce our hearts. Help us to continue in this worship of reading your word and preaching your word. And we just thank you for the ability to do it. In your precious name, amen. We're going to talk about the disciples getting a little weird, like I said before. And I think Mark 9 really speaks to that. But before we get into this, uh, let me brag to you about a vacation I took in Hawaii. Okay? That's all right, right? You guys don't mind that. I literally text a picture when I was in Hawaii last year to a friend of mine who's a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, and he said, you pastor in Napa and you vacation in Hawaii. Whatever you did to the Lord, tell me how to do it also. I said, suffering for the gospel, my friend. But if you go to Maui and you go to Lahaina, which is one of the major cities there, kind of near all the resorts, in the middle of the city, there's, there's these trees that pop up out of the ground. It's about a city block worth of trees. Now, we went with my kids, and my kids, of course, ran right away and started climbing on them, avoiding all signs that said, do not climb on the trees. Amen. That's my parenting style, right? Just break the law, kiddos, right? We're teaching them about sin early on in life. I'm just joking, guys. <laughs> I was going to go until you guys started laughing. I was just going to keep telling that joke until you started laughing. But if you look, there's actually a sign near the biggest uh, tree in the center. It's called the banyan tree. And it says this, that these trees are not separate trees. They are one tree established by one root system. That all of them, they look different. 
They function a little differently. They have similar characteristics, but it's the same root system in there, and it's incredible. And as we look at the church, as we look at the kingdom of God, we understand that our churches are expression of one root, who Jesus Christ is, his salvation, his redemption. We are his bride, and yes, we look different. Yes, some of us are a little bit strange, but we're all connected to the root of who Jesus is. And today we're going to look at some disciples, the disciples who didn't get it. They didn't get that there are different trees connected to the root. And they're a little bit upset about it, but honestly, in the text that we're at, we see that they're kind of going through this mental block of who Jesus is and what the kingdom looks like. But today we're looking at this, the fact that the kingdom is expanding. We don't have control over that. We just contribute to it. And it's under the rule of the one great king. And it's good. Church, I got invited to talk about mission to a church that is very missions-minded. I see the work you do, and I tell my church we need to be inspired to do the same. And so speaking to you guys, I know you're missions-oriented. But understand this, that the mission of God cannot be stopped by any of us. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It will expand, and we have a choice. Are we going to jump in? Are we going to be a little weird and stay out? The disciples, they chose to be weird. Let's look at that right now. In, in chapter 9, it's been rough. It has been a series and seasons of rough, we just don't get it, disciples. Starting in the beginning of chapter 9 and verse 2, we see the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go to the high mountain. Awesome things start happening, right? Elijah and Moses show up. Peter goes to say stuff that's really stupid, and it's really funny because God cuts him off and says, just stop talking. This is the Son of God. His glory is displayed. It's fantastic. It's incredible. And now they're coming down the mountain, right? The ultimate high, the transfiguration, glory of Christ revealed and they come down, and they're glowing, and they go and tell the other disciples. The other disciples are super excited. Then they go on mission together, and everything is great. Right, church? Ugh. The disciples are a little bit too much like us. Amen? So they come down from the mountain, and this is what's going on. And when they came, this is verse 14, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. They saw a schoolyard fight, right? I'm not going to ask how many people have been in the schoolyard fight, but I'm looking around. There might have been a couple in here. Amen. And so the disciples are fighting with the scribes, and everybody is watching. This is not what you want to come down the mountain to see when the glory of God has just been revealed. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, verse 15, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him and asked him, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd, not the disciples. They're not fessing up to what's going on. Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he, and he answers them, O faithful, a faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. Jesus exercises the demon, right? And so later on, they're with Jesus. And, Jesus, and the, the disciples go, hey, how'd you do it? We couldn't do it. How did you do it? In verse 28, we see this. It says this, 
And when they had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples asked the question, and I think that's the crux for all of chapter 9. Why couldn't we cast it out? And what does Jesus say? He says, look, dependence on God is the only way to cast this out. Now, church, when you look at this, they are arguing with the scribes in front of everybody. The people are seeing the picture of the kingdom is arguing with the religious leaders. And their issue was not that this boy was, was hurting, was in pain. Their issue was wondering, why couldn't we do it? Why are we not? They're focusing on themselves and this is the characteristic. This is the weirdness of chapter 9. And we see this continue on as we go on. And so they come and they're going down to Capernaum in verse 33. And when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Why, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, here we go. Here's their disciples. You guys were, get ready. This is what we do. They had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Ooh, you guys feeling it? We got an issue here. Here's the issue. The disciples aren't understanding the kingdom of God. The disciples are believing that it's them, that it's about them, that it's their power, that they're the ones exercising the demons, that they're the ones that get to decide who the greatest is, that they're posturing in place, that they're looking to this, and then we get to our text today. It says, and John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, but he was not following us. Church, unfortunately, a characteristic of the church, and I would dare say the American church, is that we have made it all about me. It's all about me, how I feel. What songs are you singing for me? What songs tell God how great I am and not how glorious he is? And when it doesn't scratch the itch that we have that's all about us, what do we do? Well, let's go find the church that does. I don't care if it teaches the word of God. I don't care if it's on mission as long as it's about me. Church, the kingdom of God is not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. It's his kingdom. He is the king, and it is good, and it is expanding. And if we expect anything less, it's going to get weird because we're going to keep approaching the Savior of the universe and asking him, what about me? And he's going to say, look, I gave it all to you on the cross. What else do you want? Now get on mission. If you want to know what missions week looks like, it's this. We stop making it about ourselves and we make it about a world that is desperate for the gospel. And so that's our big idea. We talk about, uh, at our church, we, every sermon has a big idea, a main point. The big idea that I want you guys to walk home with is this. The expanding kingdom belongs to Christ, but it's my church. No, it's his. But it's my king. No, you're not a king. I'm a jester at best, right? It's his. So today, the application points that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be answering a question is how we do it um, through the text. And the question we're going to be answering is this, how do we interact with the kingdom? The kingdom that's not about us and the kingdom that is expanding. 
First thing is that we see in this text is we recognize the kingdom is more about Jesus than us. I'm going to sound really redundant here, guys, because I think if you're like me, you need me to sound a little bit redundant on this, that the kingdom is more about Jesus than it is about us. Amen? If you want to look at the point of the text, and let's say every word in Scripture is the centrality of Jesus Christ, the centrality of that he is the center of everything, that he is the king of the kingdom. And if you call him God, Savior, you are part of the kingdom. But the issue was, is the disciples were consumed with themselves, that they were the in crowd. They're They're the ones closest to Jesus. They're the ones on the inside. Verse 38 again, John said, Teacher, we, have, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not what church? Following? Say it with me. Following us. Why couldn't we drive out the demon? Who is greatest amongst us? We need to stop him because he's not following us. They made it all about themselves. And to make it even worse, this guy was casting out demons only a few days before that they were unable to do. There's a little sauce on there. They're angry. Why aren't they following? Why isn't he following us? It's all about them. Look, I'm super competitive. I want you guys to know this, but I hate golf. Amen. Oh, (laughs) golf is the worst. And so on my staff, my discipleship pastor is a PGA card member. So he's my least favorite staff member. He's not going to watch this. I could say that right here. No, just joking. If he does, Matthew, you're my favorite. I don't know. Or somewhere in between. I don't know. But me, my discipleship pastor, and my executive pastor, who's not a golfer, all went golfing. Is the last time I ever golfed. And I assumed that my executive pastor was just a little bit worse than I am, which is the right way to golf. Always bring someone that's, that's worse than you are. It makes sense. But we got out of there, and what I found is as, the, as it went on, he got better and I got worse. And guess what I decided that day? I'm never going to golf again. It's this idea of this competition that, that tears us up that takes us from mission. This idea that you're with us or we're with them. In reality, we're all just servants, kingdom members of the great kingdom, of the great king, a part of the bride. And here's the deal, guys. Listen to this. Jesus is not concerned with who is following us. He's concerned with who's following him. He is the focus Our words should end and begin with him. Let's take a look at this example. Because the question is, is do they learn? And the good thing is, is yes, the disciples do end up learning. And so that when Jesus does ascend in his perfect sovereign time to the throne, and we are left here seemingly alone, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit arrives, the people are listening because strange things are happening, and Peter gives his first sermon. And at the end of the sermon, this is the point where Peter can say, now you have to follow me, right? It's all about me. But listen to what Peter does in Acts 2. It says, therefore, this is the end of the sermon, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you both crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Here it is. 
Here's their time. And what does Peter reply? Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He recognizes it's not about me. It's about Christ. And so he says, repent and believe and be baptized. Notice how the heart changes. Another good example of this is Paul speaking to First Corinthians or to the Corinthian church. In First Corinthians two two, or excuse me, two one, he says, "When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you but what Jesus Christ and Him crucified." That's what we're about. We're about Jesus, the King. He is our leader. And yes, while this man was not with the disciples, he was calling the name above all names. And it was good and it was effective because his power was through Christ. To be in the kingdom, we need to understand that we are only about the king. And trust me, I love exclusivity. You don't get, I love, I will wear a members only jacket. I don't mind it. I went to Costco last week. They told me I spent so much at Costco that I get the black exclusive card. Guys, I carry that card with pride. I am part of a team now. I love exclusivity, but that's not how the kingdom works. We're exclusive in that Christ is the Savior. That's our exclusivity. But we're inclusive to all sinners who call on his name for salvation. And it's good. So how do we interact with the kingdom? We worship the king and not ourselves. Write that down. We worship the king. I put it in bold, so that means you have to write it down. We worship the king. It's probably because I need to tell myself this more and more. Our message is simple, gospel. If you're not a Christian in this place, I'm so glad you're here. You've chosen the right church to come to, or someone drug you to the right church that you should be in. And it is the sovereign, all-in-control, perfect-in-timing God who has brought you here. And he is placing you here. And you should know that there is a void in your life. That the thing that you're feeling that you're not sure that you're feeling is the thing that you're feeling and you can acknowledge it. The emptiness, the hurt, the pain, the struggles. And what it is is because we are not how we were intended. But instead, sin has taken over. Our disobedience to God has taken over, made us enemies of God, that we are in the path of his righteous wrath because we have sinned against a holy God. But here's the great story. Here's the place where it's all about Jesus. He did not leave us in that death and decay. Instead, the Father sent the Son to take the death that we had incurred, righteous judgment on the cross, then three days later, defeat that death through the resurrection. And it's good, church, is it not? And that's for everybody who calls out to him to be saved. And what does that mean? That means that we recognize that our prison place as sinners is putting us in line with the wrath of God and we repent of our sins that we don't want it anymore, that we want to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. We call out to him for forgiveness, acknowledge his greatness, and we are saved. This is salvation by faith alone. And it is good. And if you don't know that, grab that today. Talk to the person that brought you. Talk to me on my way out. Talk to Tom. 
Man, Tom prays. I got converted three times in that prayer. It was so good, Tom. Thank you. Twice in two services. That's six times in one day. Romans 10 says this, the message of faith that we proclaim is if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So church, don't go another, non-church, don't go another day without it. Now church, listen to me. Here it is, right? What's the point? We, we worship the king and not ourselves. It's easy to make it about us. It's easy. The disciples are literally walking with God incarnate, asking him, why couldn't we do this? Who's the greatest amongst us, Jesus? That guy's not following us. And Jesus looked at them saying, it's not about you. It's not about you. Don't make it about you. Make it about him and his kingdom and his mission. Don't give in to the idea that we are the things that are most important. Church, as a pastor, it's easy to fall into this. Well, I start saying, who's, not, who's following me? Why am I the most important church? Who's the better preacher, Tony Sinelli? Who's got more programs, Grace Bible? Who's got better worship, Grace? <laughs> Which church is biggest? And we start comparing ourselves in church and we stop realizing that we're on the same team. And what does it do? It doesn't just hurt us. It pulls us from the mission of God. Look at what they do. They stifle this man. They tell him to stop. That's the mission being pushed forward, the sovereign expansion of Christ's kingdom being pushed forward, and they tell them to stop. When we focus on ourselves, we stop, or we try to at least stop the mission, and it's not good. But when we say, hey, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's about him, we engage in the mission. Jesus, the leader and we rejoice when someone is brought to faith to Jesus by any means. It's good. Paul writes about this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 3. He says this, For my part, brothers and sisters, again to the church in Corinth, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. Their flesh was winning a little bit more than their faith at times. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you're still worldly. For since there is, listen to this, envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? So that you're fighting with each other, you're making it about yourself, and you're not ready for the, the truth here. You're not ready for the good stuff. I want to give you real food here. And so he goes on in verse four, for whenever someone says, this is an indicator of what they're just saying, I belong to Paul and another, I belong to Apollos. Are you not acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believe and each has a role that God, the Lord has given. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. They're nothing but only God who gives its growth. Church, it's his kingdom. He's expanding it. And you could choose to be part of that expansion and mission or just not and selfish and stick to the milk and never get the good stuff. But when we do, when we give that up, when we start saying it's not about me, it's about him, that the kingdom is more about Jesus than it is about me, the second thing we see is that we celebrate the growth of the kingdom. 
The easiest way to dissuade people from coming to the church is to show the hostility between the members of the church and other churches. The kingdom likes to fight against. We have more civil wars than wars outside of the the building. But when we're on mission, we celebrate the growth of the kingdom. Look at this, verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. It's more diverse. The kingdom's more diverse than sometimes we want to admit. But the more thing, the more the bigger issue here, guys, is we need each other. We need each other. Most of you I don't know, but I need you. I need you. In Napa, I need you. And you need us. You need Napa Valley Life Church. We need each other because it's not easy while we're here on earth. And so we celebrate the growth, knowing that we must be before, uh, before each other. John 15, Jesus puts it this way. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. That makes sense. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess who else are going to persecute, church? They're going to persecute us. They're going to persecute us. We got real problems. We have real problems. So we got to help each other. We can't have enemies in this room. It pulls us from mission. It pulls us from survival. We have dangers ahead. We, have, we need allies. We need fellow citizens. We need fellow soldiers. I lived in Phoenix for a long time. I lived in Arizona for 24 years. I love Arizona. And I'm a big Phoenix Suns fan. Go Suns. Down with the Warriors. Amen, right? <laughs> and they just got this guy named Kevin Durant. Most of you Warrior fans don't know who that is. I think he got you guys a title at some point. I'm really losing the room here. You see this, Tom? That's what, I'm, that's, that's what we're trying to push here a little bit. But we just got Kevin Durant. Now, the first thing you think is great title, right? The reality of how I feel about it is when you get a big player in any sports team, the first word you have is, is he going to play for himself or play for the team? Is he playing for the number and the name or the jersey that he's wearing? Church, who are you playing for? Because our jersey says Christ. I'd encourage you to take the name off the back, matter of fact. What are we playing for? Are we playing for the kingdom? Are we playing for the big C church? Because we are under unified under the banner of Jesus. We need each other. Now look, that means that we have our, our group, our people, our local expression of the body, and we need to be here. We need to be discipled, which I know you are discipled well. This is your closest family, your immediate family. This is where you get discipled. You preach. They have, the word is preach, worship together weekly, convict each other of sins. That's the expression, the local body and expression. But then we need to focus out from there and say we need to engage the kingdom. You recognize that the fa- there is family outside of the body, the local body at least. And look, there are some crazy uncles in our family, in our kingdom, amen? <laughs> we might be the crazy uncles, amen? <laughs> Nobody amen that. But we're unified under Christ alone. 
We're yelling his name together. It's the jersey that we wear because we are for each other. So how do we interact with the kingdom? I want you to write this down. We celebrate and participate in the growth of the kingdom. We get pumped. I mean, Jesus is literally looking at them and saying, are you guys dumb? What are you, what are you doing? They're, he's for you. If he's, if he's for you, keep him there. You want him. You need them. We celebrate and participate in the growth of the kingdom. This is the idea of being kingdom-minded. Now, we have to talk about what kingdom-minded is because that doesn't mean that every single church that we talk about is under the banner of the kingdom of God. Okay, so listen to me what I'm, I'm saying here. There are truths that we hold severe, the five solas, for instance, that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, told to us by scripture alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are non-negotiable, right? That we know that the inerrancy of God's word is something we are founded on, that we believe in the full deity and humanity of Jesus, that we believe in the, the Trinity and the resurrection. Those are things we hold on to very close. Because if you don't, you're not part of the kingdom. You're part of another kingdom. But there are times when people, when people hold those clothes and might just look a little bit different and we still celebrate them. Guys, there's churches that you've planted that might look and function a little different than you. It's wonderful. It's expression of God's kingdom. It's a tree in the banyan tree popped up under the root system of Christ. So we don't get caught up in that we do get caught up in making sure, and this is a warning, and I want to make sure that you hear me say this, that they are preaching the word of God with accuracy. Because the church from the very beginning warns about false teachers trying to enter into the church. It's the thing that the majority of the New Testament is talking about. And we see even in Acts 20, Paul warns the Ephesians as he's leaving the church that he loves so dearly that he's weeping over. And he says, no, I know that after my departure, verse 29 of Acts 20, my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from their own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Guys, there's false teachers. So please understand this. When I'm saying kingdom minded, I don't mean that we get away from the truth of the word of God. We need to acknowledge that. But, so stick to your conviction, know your doctrine, but then when we know they're part of the kingdom, celebrate them, love on them, participate on the mission of hand. Do you guys know, so, uh, so Tom talked about, I have a role within the North American Mission Board, the SEND Network. So my job is I'm a pastor at Napa Valley Life Church. That's, that's my main job. But then we help churches plant other churches. We walk them through the system. You guys, in the last 18 months, 18 months, have planted three churches in the Bay Area. Three. More than anybody else I've seen in the Bay Area from this church. Incredible, is it not? And they're reaching the most, un, uh, the, the most unchurched region in the United States. The region that I would say that many people would say has ever, that has always been unchurched. The last unclaimed territory of Jesus Christ. That's where revivals happen. And it's good. Participate in that. Talk to Tom. Talk to Tony and say, hey, 
what does that mean that we planted churches? How do we do it better? How can I be a part of it? How do I break open my pocketbook to give more because they need it? How do I pray for them? How do I serve in there? How do I participate in the mission at hand? And this can look weird because sometimes you might be called to go with a church planter to a different church. And it's the knee-jerk reaction for pastors and people in the church to say, well, you're not with us. You're not with us. And what Jesus says is, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. Send them. You might be called to overseas missions. You might be called to go to the places that you never thought you would even want to go visit. It's about the kingdom, the mission at hand. It's not about us. And we're here to help. The church is here to help participate in mission. The last thing we see here is that how do we, we serve one another? Very simple. We serve one another. I was nine or 10 years old when we moved to Lake Havasu City. I should probably figure that number. I'm going to go with 10. We're going to call it at 10. I was 10 years old. My parents moved me from Southern California to Lake Havasu City, Arizona. The first day we lived there, 132 degrees, church. That's child abuse. <laughs> but we went there. Nine years old, I walked to a friend I had just met about a mile away to his house, and uh, we got into an argument, uh, because that's what 10-year-olds do, and I walked home. My parents didn't pick me up. I walked home, but I didn't know how to get home. And so in 120s, I don't think it was 130 that day, I'm walking, and I, I never drink in water in my life. I was a 10-year-old. I only drank Capri Suns. That's all I've ever had. I ever had. I've drank water now. But when I got home, because I had gotten lost, and I was walking, and I started realizing, like, I, I, I'm really glad I'm saved right now type of conversations in my head. I wa- ran into my house, I turned on the water, and I just stuck my head under and drank as much water as possible. I understood thirst for the first time in my life. Listen to what he says here. Verse 41. If he's for, you, if, if he's for us, then he's not against us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What is Jesus saying here? I think he's talking to the disciples more than he's talking about this man. He's saying, look, you're about to get real thirsty. And anybody that offers you this water, this companionship, this kingdom-mindedness, you need to stop and drink. It's going to be difficult out there. And we are called to serve one another in love, to bring the water to each other because, guys, we're dying of thirst. It's not easy being the church. And if you feel like it's been easy being the church, you need to reevaluate your relationship with the church because it's not easy. It's promised persecution. It's promised difficulties. And we're out there dying of thirst And so we need to celebrate when someone gives us water. But here's the other side of it. Some of you are overwhelmingly filled with water jugs everywhere. You need to start pouring that out for the people that are in need. Those missionaries that are on site, those three church planters in the last 18 months, they need the water, I promise you. They're thirsty out there. I talked to them. Galatians 5 talks about what we do with our salvations, verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. We are free from sin and death. And now what do we get to do with it? We get to serve one another in it. It's good, is it not? And why? Why? Because we need it. We need it. God uses his kingdom to help us endure. Romans 15, Paul writes this. Now we we have a strong obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. Church, we are in this together. We need to serve one another. It continues on. Now may the God who, in, who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Unity is serving each other. I love fishing. I love it. We go fishing a lot, much more than golf. Golf is dumb. Fishing is great. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Fishing is good. I love fishing. And if you go fishing on the lakes, you'll see little minnows. Now, one little minnow is worthless. You catch it in a net, it just flops on there. You don't want to eat it. It's worth nothing. You just want to throw it back or use it as bait. But if you're fishing, sometimes you'll look over the boat. If it's a clear day, you'll see a school of minnows. And it's beautiful. 500, 1,000 minnows swimming together in unison. And it's like God is painting a picture while they're swimming. These are terrible fish on their own. They're stupid fish on their own, but together they're beautiful. They protect each other. They seek food together. They work together for a common goal, and it's wonderful out there to see them. What are we doing here, guys? Are we the minnow trying to get it on our own? Are we part of the school with a focus that's beautifully articulating and putting the picture of what it is to be the kingdom of God together? I promise you, you don't want to be called a minnow. God, Jesus calls us sheep a bunch, and sheep are stupid. Just talk to a sheep. You can't talk to sheep because they don't talk back. But don't, they're dumb. I, I don't like anything about sheep. Minnows and sheep are what we are, and that's great. And he puts us together for a reason. It's important that you do not devalue the importance of the bride of Christ, the kingdom, the church. Every Christ-following, Bible-believing, and Bible-believing and teaching church is important, and you need to, to get involved with it. Get involved with it. Make sure you're part of one and support them. And serve each other. This is our call to church plants around the world to all communities. This is the expansion of a kingdom. Look, I love my local congregation, but the reason I am passionate about church planting is I could tell my church we want a thousand people, right? I want a thousand people in my church. Then I could get a book deal. Everybody will watch me on YouTube. It'll be great and it'll be glorifying to me. And I would love that. Amen? Don't amen that. <laughs> but that's not the point of this. And I tell my church often, that if God blesses us to a thousand, that's great. But we have 86,000 people in, in Napa County, or excuse me, in Napa City alone. If every Bible-believing church was filled to capacity, we would reach 5% of that population. 5%, which is great. Man, I love a thousand people. But that would mean we're okay with 95% of the population dying and going to hell. I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? No, we're not okay with that. So our mission isn't a thousand p- 
people, it's a hundred churches planted and pastors trained and families sent so that we can see the saturation of the gospel throughout our region, throughout the Bay Area. This is the mission at hand. This is the legacy that I want so that we don't become the most unchurched region. We become the church that 25, 50 years, about 50 years from now, they go, remember what happened when? I almost fell off that step. You guys didn't catch it. I'm okay. <laughs> I, almost made, I almost made it, but it was good. Get the point. Catch what I'm saying there. And so be discipled here. Have a healthy culture here. But then let's plant churches. Let's send missionaries across the world to plant churches and to spread the gospel. And then serve each other. So we finish every sermon at Napa Valley Life Church. Not that you guys need to conform to us. I should be conforming to you. But we always do this. What should we take home? It's about 1230. You're going to go get lunch. You can invite me if you like to. I like steak. <laughs> what do you take home? What's the thing you pack in your lunch and go talk about at the table? We have three things for you that I want you to write. First one is this. You're going to love this one. You'll talk about this one for about two minutes and be done with it. Stop worshiping yourself. Christ's kingdom is not about you. That's the first one. Yeah, that's nice. That's easy conversation. When you're at Applebee's ordering your hamburger. Stop worshiping yourself. Christ's kingdom is not about you. Second one is this. The citizens of the kingdom are required to be on mission. Required. Jesus has called you to mission no matter what. You're on it. If you're part of the kingdom, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, you are called to mission. Third one is this. The kingdom of God is a hospital. We have to take care of one another. Now here, here's the best part. Churches fight. Things look weird. We can get really concerned with us. It means we're going to say weird things that don't make sense. We'll embarrass ourselves. The disciples do it all the time. But when we're truly focused on mission, all that matters is Christ. All that matters, and that he is glorified, and that he is proclaimed to the reaches of the world, and that we are desperate for him. George Whitfield, John Wesley did not like each other. Matter of fact, doctrinally, they're on other sides from each other. They didn't like each other at all. They debate each other. Matter of fact, I think John Wesley called George Whitfield a heretic at one point in time. They just didn't like each other. But there was a time, and their followers didn't like each other. There was a time one of George Whitfield's followers came to him, who did not like Wesley, and this is what he asked. He goes, we won't see John Wesley in heaven, will we? <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> Whitfield humbly replied, yes, you're right, we won't see him in heaven. He actually said that. But here's the best part. He says, he will be so close to the throne of God, and we will be so far away we won't be able to see him. Church, he understood. We can have differences. We can look different. We could be a little bit different, like the disciples saw this man being just a little bit different, but it doesn't mean we're not part of the kingdom. It doesn't mean we're not on the mission together, because in reality, this is where we're headed if you're a follower of Jesus. Re Revelation 7, 9, after I looked, there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in one voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb 
That's our destination. That's the goodness of who God is. That's where we will end. The kingdom of God is big and diverse, and the center point is Jesus. We are just expressions of the tree. The kingdom of God is expanding, and it belongs to Christ. Thank God. Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, you are good.